What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Michael Jordan shocked the sports world last week when he announced he was selling his controlling stake in the Charlotte Hornets at a $3 billion valuation. But most people are overlooking the most important details. So today's podcast is going to break down how Michael Jordan acquired the team for pennies on the dollar, why they have performed so poorly on the court, and how he's set to make more money on this one deal alone than his 40-year partnership with Nike. This podcast will serve as a deep dive into how some of the biggest deals in sports come together, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So let's get right into it. Michael Jordan's partnership with Nike is the best sports business deal in history. We all know the story by now. MJ loved Converse coming out of UNC. It's the shoes that he wore in college, and his head coach, Dean Smith, was getting paid $10,000 a year by the brand to have his players wear the shoes. But when Converse told Michael Jordan that they would treat him just like any of their other superstars, i.e. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, etc., Jordan reluctantly signed with a different company, Nike. Nike's basketball business was non-existent at the time, so they offered Michael Jordan a massive, five-year, $500,000 all-cash deal that could potentially reach $2.5 million in total compensation through the launch of his own signature collection of shoes, clothing, and more. But since this deal was four to five times larger than any of the other NBA players were getting at the time, and Jordan still hadn't played a single NBA game yet, Nike gave themselves an out. The deal worked like this. If Michael Jordan didn't become an NBA All-Star, win Rookie of the Year, average 20 points per game, or sell $4 million in shoes within his first three years in the NBA, Nike could exit the deal without paying him any of the remaining money on the contract. Well, as we all know, that didn't happen. Because in addition to Michael Jordan becoming an NBA All-Star in his rookie year, winning Rookie of the Year in his rookie year, and averaging 29 points per game, in his rookie year, Nike also sold $125 million in sneakers his first year alone, shattering their initial goal of $4 million in sneakers in three years. Literally, $125 million in sneakers his first year alone. And the rest is history. Michael Jordan later signed a royalty deal with Nike that reportedly pays him about 5% of all Jordan brand sales. And with Nike significantly pushing the Jordan brand over the last few years, they passed $5.1 billion in revenue last year, and Michael Jordan earned $255 million in royalties alone. For context, that's nearly three times more than his entire NBA career earnings of $94 million. But the story gets even crazier, because despite earning nearly $2 billion from Nike over the last 40 years combined, Michael Jordan just closed an even bigger deal with his Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets story starts with Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson is the founder of Black Entertainment Television, or BET Network, and he might be worth more than $500 million today, but he is also probably the only person in history to lose money while owning an NBA franchise. The story goes like this. In 2002, Robert Johnson paid $300 million to obtain the rights to the NBA's expansion franchise, Charlotte Bobcats. Johnson then pledged to invest an additional $30 million on top of that, and he laid out this master plan that involved launching a regional sports network with the team's television broadcast rights. But of course, none of that worked, to say the least. Robert Johnson's regional sports network failed after just one year, causing him to agree to a below-market distribution deal with Time Warner Cable that also gave Time Warner Cable 
the arena naming rights for free. Furthermore, the Charlotte Bobcats lost $25 million per year during the first four years of Johnson's ownership tenure. And Johnson gutted the entire marketing and operations department in 2006, firing more than 40 employees in a single month and leaving behind a skeleton crew of empty cubicles and overworked employees. But still, Robert Johnson downplayed what was going on in Charlotte in the early 2000s, telling fans, if you're able to put together a winning combination on the court, it's going to have an impact on your ability to sell tickets, attract sponsorships, and advertisers. So what does Robert Johnson do next? He goes out and he tries to find the best person that he could possibly find to build a winning team because in the end, he thinks that's what's going to sell tickets, attract sponsors, and get advertisers. And who does he pick? He picks Michael Jordan. So at the time, Michael Jordan was looking at a couple different investments. He was potentially going to invest in the Milwaukee Bucks or the Charlotte Bobcats at the time. He ends up buying a minority stake. He put in several million dollars to buy a minority stake. He was actually the second largest shareholder after Robert Johnson in the team, but it was a small minority stake, a few million dollars that he invested. And he did this in exchange. This is important. He only agreed to invest in the team in exchange for complete control of all basketball decisions. So he overruled Johnson when it came to everything on the court. Of course, this sounded like sort of a good idea at the time. MJ, of course, had just failed running the Washington Wizards a few years earlier, but he was the greatest basketball player ever and still is. And many people assumed his knowledge alone would be enough to build a winning team. Well, not exactly. The Charlotte Bobcats spent hundreds of millions of dollars on free agents. They fired and hired new coaches and they drafted several players in the top 10 of the NBA draft, including Adam Morrison at number three, Brandon Wright at number eight, and DJ Augustine at number nine. But still, the Bobcats didn't make the playoffs a single time or have a winning record from 2005 to 2009, and their attendance, it actually dropped under Michael Jordan. For example, the Charlotte Bobcats had total attendance of 637,000 people in 2006, that dropped down to 603,000 in 2007. And in 2008, it dipped under 600,000 people. Total attendance all year round at their home arena. And this is where it gets interesting because Robert Johnson was essentially forced to sell the team for pennies on the dollar. And I want to explain exactly what happened here because there's a lot of nuance going on and it's not really being widely reported by anyone in the media today. But there's this amazing article by the Daily Beast. I guess it was in 2010 or 2011 when Michael Jordan assumed control of the team. That breaks down exactly what happened with Robert Johnson and his financials in depth. But I want to give you just basically a summary of what happened so you guys have a high-level overview of exactly how Michael Jordan was able to acquire this team. So Robert Johnson, as I mentioned, is the founder of BET Network. He was worth over a billion dollars, according to Forbes, at some point during his career. But then he started investing in a bunch of deals that were essentially out of his expertise, right? He had a bunch of CBS and Viacom stock that took a significant hit, so that was down. He got divorced, so his wife took about half of his assets at the time of the divorce. He was investing in car dealerships, production studios to make movies. He was investing in a bunch of different private equity funds. He was investing in lottery machines and airports. Like Literally, he was just super diversified, hotels, gaming, private equity, whatever it is. But there was one common theme in essentially a lot of his businesses, which was that they were very capital intensive, right? They required a bunch of capital to get started and ongoing payments until they got up to scale and started making profit. And this was a problem because his CBS and Viacom stock was dropping. He was paying $25 million a year on the team, right? He was losing $25 million a year on the Bobcats. And he essentially was going illiquid is what the Daily Beast is claiming. 
And the part why this is important is because the rumor is, and what Daily Beast is reporting, is that in 2010, he goes to Michael Jordan. He says, look, you're already a minority owner in the team. We have a debt payment coming up. The team does. Where they owed $40 million to the bank. And one of their interest payments was due in like the next 30 days. And it was several million dollars. So I don't know if it was two, three million or 10 million, but we'll call it seven figures in interest payments was due to the bank in the coming 30, 60 days. And the Daily Beast was essentially reporting that Robert Johnson couldn't make the payment. So he publicly goes out and he says, I'm looking to get 325 to $350 million to sell the team. That's what he wants, right? He paid $300 million for the expansion fee. He committed a bunch of other money to it. He was going to lose money on the deal regardless, but essentially he wanted to save face and publicly sell the team for more than he had bought it for. But what ends up happening is the NBA comes out later on and they report that Michael Jordan bought the team at a $275 million valuation. And the reason why this is important is because of the vocabulary that they use. They say $275 million valuation. And over the last few days, since you've seen Michael Jordan sell the team, you've probably heard that number, $275 million. ESPN reported it in their article. A bunch of other networks have reported it. CNBC, everyone else is reporting it, right? Saying $275 million. But the reason why that's sort of incorrect or inaccurate is because the details are much more fascinating. And I want to explain them to you guys because, quite frankly, no one else is breaking this down. So what happened is that 275 was essentially the enterprise value of the team. But Michael Jordan only put down $25 million in cash, according to the Daily Beast article. So he essentially said, look, on a cash basis, I'm going to put down $25 million on an equity valuation of $170 million and the remaining $275, right? So $105 million is essentially debt and other liabilities, right? So that's not equity value. That's debt existing that was already previously on the business that Robert Johnson had taken on. So the valuation, the enterprise value of $275 million is correct, but Michael Jordan only put down, reportedly, $25 million on this deal in cash. And that's super important because that's drastically lower than anyone would ever have to pay down on a deal like this. If you're an NBA owner and you're buying a team for $275 million, $500 million, a billion dollars, $2 billion, it doesn't matter. You're putting a lot more money down in cash out of your bank account getting wired out. Michael Jordan put down just $25 million to buy the team simply because Robert Johnson was essentially going illiquid. His network was cut in half by Forbes the following year and things were just a mess, right? So Michael Jordan buys the team for pennies on the dollar, gets objectively a very, very, very good deal. It's not all time that you can buy an NBA franchise by just putting down $25 million. All right, everyone, quick interruption from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, SoFi. Now, some of you probably already know who SoFi is. They sponsor the Rams and the Chargers Stadium out in LA. It's an amazing stadium. I was able to go there for the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. If anyone has the chance to go, please go. But more importantly, I've been using them for several years because it's the only app that I found that lets you bank, borrow, invest, and save all in one place. It is incredibly helpful to have all of that in one place. They call it a finance super app, and I love it. I've been using it for several years now, and they're legit. They comply with all the regulatory standards that you would need from the FDIC, so you can make sure that your money is safe. So visit SoFi.com slash Joe Pompliano to download the SoFi app today. Again, that's SoFi.com slash Joe Pompliano to download the SoFi app. Let's fast forward a decade and Michael Jordan's ownership tenure is coming to an end now too, right? So he bought the team in 2010 for $25 million down in cash, $170 million in equity value and $270 million top line valuation, which was being reported by the NBA and everyone else. Now, on one hand, many people are going to say that Michael Jordan failed as an NBA owner over the last 13 years. 
They'll point to the fact that the Bobcats, or now the Hornets, made the playoffs just three times under his 13 years as majority owner, never finishing higher than sixth in the Eastern Conference standings. They'll say that the team never won a single playoff series and had the fifth worst winning percentage with him as an owner. And they'll also say that the Hornets never ranked above 15th in NBA attendance, despite Charlotte consistently being ranked as one of the fastest growing cities in the United States, alongside Raleigh too, which isn't terribly far away. And these people are technically correct. They're not wrong. These are facts. Although, I would caveat all this with, Michael Jordan probably really doesn't care. That's because Michael Jordan is selling his majority stake in the Charlotte Hornets at a reported $3 billion valuation. And I want to give you a little bit of context on just how big of a number that really is. So again, Michael Jordan bought the Charlotte Hornets, Bobcats, right, became the Hornets, in 2010 at what we'll call a $275 million valuation. Fast forward to 2020, so three years ago, he sold a 20% minority stake in the team at a $1.5 billion valuation, right? So he was already up drastically on his money. He goes from $275 million valuation in 2010 to a $1.5 billion valuation when he sold a 20% stake in 2020. Furthermore, a $3 billion valuation is 70% higher than the $1.77 billion valuation that Forbes handed the team just last year, literally just last year. And it's also 11 times the $270 million in revenue that the Charlotte Hornets brought in in 2022. And again, for context here, the typical NHL team might trade at a five times revenue multiple. MLB, NFL, and NBA, they're going to trade somewhere between seven and eight times annual revenue. And MLS, they would trade at like 10 times annual revenue because it's a newer high growth league. Again, the Hornets are trading at an 11 times revenue multiple. That's absolutely insane, and it's unlike anything that we have recently seen. Now, this makes the Hornets the seventh highest-priced sports franchise sale in history. Number one is the recent sale of the Washington Commanders at $6 billion this year. We have the Denver Broncos at number two last year at $4.65 billion. The Phoenix Suns earlier this year also a $4 billion sale, which was drastically higher than anyone else had them valued also. The Brooklyn Nets in 2019 holding down the four spot at $3.3 billion. We're going to count the Milwaukee Bucks at five at a $3.2 billion valuation because they had a significant minority sale, which valued the franchise at that price. Number six is Chelsea, 3.16 by Todd Bowley. Number seven, Charlotte Hornets happening right now this month, $3 billion sale. Eight, New York Mets in 2020, they sold at $2.42 billion to Steve Cohen. Number nine, Carolina Panthers in 2018, $2.28 billion. And number 10, the Houston Rockets back in 2017, $2.2 billion. And again, I want to give you a little bit of context on the valuations here. Some people I've heard already say and have told me personally, you know, what does Forbes know? They're just looking at the revenue. They don't really know what these teams trade for. And like, I kind of get that argument, but I also kind of don't because the Forbes valuations are like relatively pretty spot on and correct. And I want to give you another example. Ryan Smith, who bought the Utah Jazz in 2020, he told this story, I think it was on Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast, but forgive me if I'm, if I'm incorrectly stating the source here, but essentially he said it on a podcast I remember hearing a while ago. Ryan Smith said, this is his childhood team. He wanted the team. He had no bones about it in negotiations. He went in there and he said, I want to buy this team. And they said, how much do you think it's worth? He literally pulled out his phone, Googled what the current Forbes valuation was for the team, and then offered them that number. And that was the final sale price, $1.66 billion. He said, I think this is fair. This is what the team is worth, according to Forbes. They've done much more due diligence than I have. I don't want to spend all the time 
hiring people, looking through the books, doing all this kind of stuff. They say, this is what it's worth. I believe that's probably correct. That's what I want to buy it for. And that's literally how the deal got done. So I don't want to hear that the valuations are completely non-existent, how they're out of control, how they don't make any sense, how the Hornets selling for a big thing means that you know Forbes can't be trusted or Sportico can't be trusted. That's not correct. These things are directionally correct usually. But that gets back to my broader point here, which is the question isn't really why did Michael Jordan sell the team for $3 billion? I think the better question is why did Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall buy the team for $3 billion? And that's a much more complicated answer in my opinion. There's obviously some negatives to this deal, like the current destruction of regional sports networks that they'll have to deal with, losing potentially tens of millions of dollars annually coming up here. Or they have a $275 million renovation that is currently scheduled to be completed in the coming years on Charlotte's Arena. Again, there's things they have to deal with here. But there are a lot of positives, too. Sports teams, first and foremost, are intentionally scarce assets. There's only 30 of them. And outside of maybe a couple expansion teams in the future, they're not making more of them. So if you want them, you got to pay up for them. Also, the league is currently negotiating its next media rights deal, attempting to triple its current $25 billion deal to $75 billion. And with the NBA now allowing private equity funds, pension funds, endowments, and even sovereign wealth funds, hello Saudi, to take minority stakes in individual franchises, many insiders believe NBA valuations could double again within the next five to 10 years. So my point is simple. This might end up being a great deal for all parties involved. All right, everyone, that's it for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please do me a favor and leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple or Google or wherever you're listening to this podcast. I appreciate it more than you guys know. Have a great day and we will talk on Friday.